back welcome once again to another episode of mike mike and oscar i am your co-host mike one co-host also mike is here it'll be our last oscar race checkpoint of the year 2023 which means a new year is around the corner which means the golden globes are around the corner which means another oscar season is here upon us michael oh it's here it's 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 been incoming for a while i don't know yeah. if you know that but uh <laughs> yeah we've been we've been mounting we've had our eye on it for a little bit <laughs> we've yeah. had our eye on it for a few at least a few weeks right right but yeah, I mean, we got some awards news up top here. We're going to talk about the Christmas week box office. Uh, we're going to have Make the Case movie reviews at the beginning. Uh, towards the end, we're going to kind of bookend this episode with movie reviews. But you did what you have been known to do. Whenever there's a story at the nexus of the legal and the entertainment spheres, yeah, you have put yourself in betwixt said this one made spheres. Me sad. Yeah, yeah but this this, this is a sad one. But uh, yeah. we we do want to talk about the MCU and the the Jonathan Majors uh, story at, in the middle of this episode. But yeah, it's a it's a loaded Oscar race checkpoint to be sure. It is a loaded Oscar race checkpoint. Let's start with the aforementioned Golden Globes news to lead this show off. Yeah, Joe Coy is uh, tabbed as the next host of the Golden Globes, the eighty first this year. Uh, on a side note, they also elected like a new board of directors and they they've changed up their leadership yet again go to awardswatch.com you can read all about that but do you think they're doing this just to keep people like us off balance so we're having a tough time keeping up with what's going on with the former hfpa i think they are doing this to to rebrand and uh yeah. I, I it is a transformation that they knew they needed to take and they're doing it very publicly and it's I guess it's better than not doing so, right? I mean, they could have been belligerent and, and died a slower death or a faster death. I still like to think it's all about us. I like to think we're heliocentric in this world and they're doing this just to keep us off base. <laughs> because we've, we've been stern with them, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. but look, I mean, Joe Coy, it's a it's a momentous uh, hiring here, a first uh, Filipino host of a yeah. major award show, and he said some beautiful things about that quote. I've stepped onto a lot of stages around the world in my career, but this one is going to be extra special. I'm so excited to be hosting the Golden Globes this year, said Koi, and uh, this is that moment where I get to make my Filipino family proud. And he said, Mahal Kita, and he said to Google it, which is, uh, we did, it's a Filipino expression that means I love you. So that was sweet. So Joe Corey hosting the Golden Globe, Chelsea Handler is going to be back hosting the Critics' Choice, and that's there's like a, a synergy between the two of them. They're, they used to be in a relationship together. They broke up in July of uh, 2022, but they've kind of climbed the comedy ranks together, at least in my knowledge of their careers. I mean, they started off my first time they came to my, you know, wherewithal was uh, he was a panelist on her show on E! Chelsea Lately, mm. uh, and uh, they've kind of spread their comedy wings ever since uh, being on that show on E! I like Chelsea Handler. I'm usually speaks very. I usually speak if I could speak English. I usually speak very glowingly about any awards host who gets hired. I've never been a Joe Coy guy. I've never been like crazy about him. I've loved his earlier work. Can I okay. say that? Like his. First, you liked him before he was cool. 
Before I liked cool him before like him. he was cool. Yeah. I liked him yeah. when he did an entire stand-up special on the relationship between he and his mom. It's the funniest <laughs> okay. thing ever. Like him talking about his mother and his mother's disapproval of him. Like if he goes out there and he does that shtick, he's my favorite comedian yeah. ever. <laughs> ever. Okay, no, but he's done like six Netflix specials and I watched like the I've watched one here and there, and whenever he goes back to his mom's stuff, like that's the funniest stuff ever. That's the bread and butter for you. That is the bread and butter, the Filipino bread right. and butter for Joe Coy. But I, Easter Sunday, I never saw it. I know it got bad reviews. It got, yeah, kind of got panned. Tanked at the box office, I think, too, yeah. That was a bit autobiographical. I probably should see it if it's about the, the mother-son dynamic. Right. It might be right up your alley. It might be perfect. And I did like, I you know, the comedians do this. The Sebastian Maniscalco uh, about my father. That was funny to me. I'm Italian, and, mm-hmm. you know, the Italian dynamic father-son was, was very funny. I watched that. I watched that stupid movie. It's not a good movie. It's a stupid movie, and I laughed like an idiot the entire time so maybe i would do the same for easter sunday i'm gonna have to watch that now it's a whole new subgenre that's appealing to you that you don't even realize until just now you're in for the family biopic i love the comedian autobiographical family biopic absolutely probably always have so you're a fan of this joe coy hiring for the golden globes yeah it could work i mean look chelsea handler last year we've we had some harsh things to say about her hosting because some of the corniest shtick ever but that might might have been a CW problem. Yeah, the critics try. It's an impossible gig. <laughs> I mean, years pr- before Chelsea Handler, that who was it? Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs might have. He he almost <laughs> killed comedy. It's not his fault. It's so, no, it's not. It might be CW's fault. But no, just it's, some it's of the CW's worst fault. Jokes. Don't say it might be. It's yeah. CW's fault. Whoever's <laughs> writing for them needs to stop writing. <laughs> just so and, I, it might just be a crit. Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's. That is a tough gig to host the Critics' Choice and have people care. Just? No, no, no. I don't think it's that tough. You could just take your jokes. It's a, it's the Critics' Choice Awards. Just show a few critics. They'll tell you if it's <laughs> at all funny or not. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the, the secret sauce there, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, we'll see how Chelsea Handler does this year with the Critics' Choice. We'll see how Joe Coy does. The Golden Globes, as always, will be the weekend following uh, this New Year's. So it's right around the corner, as we said at the top of the show. Yeah, we did go back to our gambling episode if you want to hear our picks and our uh, hunches, at least mm. in terms of the gambling betting odds for the Golden Globes. But yeah, the Critics' Choice are right, right behind it. Uh, we will move into the Christmas week box office here and shout out to Deadline.com. They actually tallied up the week from December 23rd through the 29th. This is domestically speaking. I'll kind of talk about the international gross from the first weekend, from the Christmas weekend, really the 23rd, 24th, well, 22nd through 23rd. But uh, mostly we're going to look at domestic here. So Aquaman 2 won the Christmas week with $58 million. Ultimately, Aquaman 2, if it makes another quarter of a, uh, you know, or makes another $25 million this weekend for over the New Year's, it's going to wind up making like $225, $250 worldwide in its first 10 days, Michael. That is not what you want from a $205 million budget. No, no, that thing is not going to make money. It does not seem. That's that being said, Wonka does look like it's going to towards profitability. It's gonna wind up being around a three ten at least. I, I would say it's probably gonna be around three fifty coming out of this weekend, its first twenty days or so. And uh, it did a it did fifty three 
over its Christmas week, it's going to do a projected leader uh, or leading 33 million over this domestic weekend at, at, for New Year's. And I think it's doing well overseas. It did 177 thus far. So, yeah, it's probably going to be cl- very close to profitability after this weekend worldwide. Uh, I, okay. I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm, I'm happy to see that. Timothy Chalamet seems like he's still a bankable lead there. So, that's good for his uh, at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, at 375 on a $125 million budget, that's profitable. Yeah. Migration, Illumination Studios behind uh, Despicable Me, etc., Minions, they look... So they did $37 million for the Christmas week. Mm. They're projected to do another $21 million domestically. It's a $72 million budget, so it's probably going to be around $100 million worldwide, $110 million worldwide after this week. That has a ways to go yet. Michael McDonald said that. He took the words right out of my mouth. It's got such a long way to go. Uh, the Color Purple. Now, The Color Purple did extremely well on Christmas Day. It did $18 million, And it's four-day... Second highest Christmas debut ever or something like that? Right. Awesome. And the crowds, the crowd that I saw The Color Purple in was jam-packed. I loved it. Every seat was full in the back three rows. I actually sat in one of the cool. top three rows. And, right. and those were mostly full, filled, too, which is beautiful. Full theater for me. Saw it low traffic time as well. Uh, the color purple did thirty two point three million in its four day start on a hundred million dollar budget though. That's the problem. It's going to do another sixteen million domestically over the New Year's weekend. It's projected so you know that's forty eight fifty million. Yeah, the irony there is that Oprah Winfrey was on the record talking about how you know if once you get to the ninety million hundred million dollar budget, there was pressure from the studios to bring in a Beyonce or a Rihanna or someone to the cast to try to sell more tickets that way. And, yeah. and she, they resisted, but at the same time, it's like, well, maybe you, you needed that kind of A-list star power to push this over the top to get more people in theater. I don't know. So what is it going to do overseas? I don't know. That's that. Yeah. It's a big musicals and it's got the goods. And I, I'm going to review it here and say I might as well review it now. I mean, this yeah, was this was a showstopper. I, I really thought this was musically and emotionally satisfying. Uh, I mean, that's the bottom line. I'm not a huge musical guy, even though I like some epic Hollywood musicals. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a really a spiritual person anymore, and there's no de- denying how spiritual the film was. But like beautifully well acted, sung, staged, choreographed. I mean, this thing works really well and the songs fly and they they keep you invested like this is a two and a half hour musical michael and i thought maybe it's like 15 20 minutes too long but it you know that's that's pretty good i mean we've seen cats be like how long was two cats? hours too long yeah it was like <laughs> two hours long it was two hours too long uh but the color purple maybe you know maybe they could have you know shaved 15 minutes but fantasia barino brings it back i mean there's a lull towards the end but she delivers perhaps the best musical moment of the last five years it's so good really uh people i've never heard my connecticut theater louder this was a tuesday night people were giving her a standing ovation it was beautiful it was really fun really fun moment uh to hear that uh and it was even louder than the mid-movie applause break that we got for the danielle brooks song so those are the two standouts there's no question there's no no uh denying their Oscar candidacy. I mean, these they, they steal the movie. There's no question about it. Crowd pleaser. I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed myself at The Color Purple. It is over the top. It is melodramatic. That's kind of the nature of the big, you know, Hollywood musical, though. Uh, 
that that being said, they stuck to the original story, The Color Purple. I was not I was very surprised. I thought they were going to sugarcoat it. I thought they were going to steer clear of all the despair of the original. Like it's still there, man. It's still there. They're just <laughs> they're just singing about their troubles. My god, it really was therapeutic. It was quite the contrast and I give them a ton of credit for threading the needle. I can't believe they made it work, but B+ all day 87 Academy voters should uh should take note, especially if this keeps making money. So is singing acting is the big question here. Oh, yeah. Where do you have uh, Francesca? Where do you have uh, Francesca? Good Lord. Uh, where, where do you have, you know, Danielle Brooks and Fantasia? I have Danielle Brooks as my four, but she, she and Julianne Moore neck and neck for that okay. three, for that three spot. I'm, I'm, if I saw Danielle Brooks again, and I probably will. I, I might put her over. I think, uh, I think, unfortunately, Barino is like my six in lead actress, but she's very close. She's on the bubble. If she gets okay. in, I'll be happy good. because she's that good. And, and we again, were talking about that before. Like this has been like a mostly fun year for Oscars. We don't really have between the two of us. We usually have a couple movies with with just an undying hatred for <laughs> that we don't understand, and that doesn't seem to be the case this year. Even the the stuff that's on the bubble, for the most part, yeah. we enjoy. You're self absorbed because the Killers of the Flower Moon is. I, I was trying to. I was I, saying for the most part, I was giving you. I gave you so many outs there. <laughs> I don't like that movie, Michael. I don't like. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Mike doesn't like Killers of the Flower Moon. Can we get that? Have we hammered that enough? And I read the book. <laughs> I read the book to try and like it more. I'm trying, folks. I'm really trying. I'm gonna watch it again. But anyway. Anyone but you, sixteen million over the Christmas week. It's Speaking projected of self-absorbed. <laughs> yeah, projected to do another eleven, so that'd be twenty-seven million domestic on a twenty-five million dollar budget. And it's Sydney first- Sweeney. I don't care what this movie days. does. She she should be in the Louvre. Just her. She. I mean, she showed up on Jimmy Fallon mm. in, in this red dress that was like jaw-dropping stuff, and then she gave him because Jimmy Fallon mentioned to her that she, that he was a fan of Gonzaga basketball. She's from Spokane, Washington. She gifted him a Gonzaga basketball that all the team signed, and Jimmy Fallon was like, "How did you do this?" And she goes, "Oh, one of the players slid in my DMs." Right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Good God! I know she's late twenties and I'm late thirties, so it's it's a little it's getting it's getting to the point where we're not going to be able to say Marilyn Monroe is dead, and I say the same about her. I mean, no, no, she she's a Glenn Powell. I'll say the same about she's gorgeous too. Listen, I I would have sex with every single person in that class. (laughs) I wasn't saying that. I want to. Good. Did I did I did I say something? And how wrong? do you feel about Killers of the Flower Moon? Could you just? I don't like Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> okay. Don't like. It. All right. No, I'm raw right now because, and I'm I'm yeah, not right. in yeah, the yeah. best. You're on the Knicks You're just right. made a trade right. that broke my heart. Yeah, Emmanuel quickly was my pride and joy as a basketball fan, and I'm so upset. Yeah. But all right, anyone but you probably on a path to profitability. We maybe and once it goes international. I yeah, hope I mean, so for the for the sake of the you know the. The rom-com emphasis on com as opposed to rom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more rom than com. That, but the problem with that movie is it's much more rom after it's com. And it was very funny for the first hour, and then it was very unfunny for the last I hour. I just remember you saying how funny it was, so that made me think it, it was, was very more com than rom. No, it was very funny for the first half, and then it's like mm-hmm. never funny again. Like, what the hell? Why, why just stay funny? And Sidney Sweeney was very funny in the first hour. Should they just turn that into a franchise with those two? Are those not the two most beautiful people on the face of the earth right now? Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney? Probably. Two. Just make 18 sequels with those two. Just have them age through this series. I'm not, I'm not against it. <laughs> anyway, The Boys in the Boat. $13.6 million, five day, uh, on a $50 million budget, roughly. 
twelve million over the New Year's. So that's twenty five, and eh, it's got work to do. Nah, I don't, yeah, it's got a ways to go. It's got work to do. Uh, the boat might be sinking. Iron mm-hmm. Claw, about twi- too many boys in that boat. <laughs> the Iron Claw did about eleven point three, and I don't know what it's projected to do this weekend. You say maybe half that. I don't even think it. I, I, this is going to be one of those things that I think it'll find profitability once it hits VOD. Anyway, it still might do twenty five thirty yeah. in theaters though, which is very good for a twenty four. They're mm-hmm. happy with that. Hunger Games, Hunger Games. I forgot to write down the totals, but that is profitable on a hundred million dollar budget. I think it's over three hundred million worldwide. Ferrari did not do too well, Michael. This is a big budget, ninety five million. It's only done nine point four thus far. I don't know what it's projected to do this weekend. I did see it, and it's okay. It's pretty good. Uh, One of your first texts to me was about the food in it. The pasta. There's so much pasta. I was so hungry watching this movie. And just glimpses. It wasn't like they're lingering on the pasta, but I can tell it was ravioli. I had to go get ravioli afterwards at this little (laughs) pizza joint, and it was a very good decision. You need to start journaling or, like, somehow, like, photo journaling your your post- the, like the food you see on screen and then what your post-movie meal is. It's not going to be – I'm not a difficult guy to read, Mike. You want to talk about synergy. That's the most synergistic thing. You are just influenced by what you see on screen, and then you get it. I get it. I literally – I have to do it. There's no – There's no. <laughs> like, like, is the thought process, well, they're eating ravioli. I should be – I want – or, like, why should they have ravioli and I not have ravioli? I am so impressionable. That's why, like, I don't like watching network TV now because if I see a Taco Bell commercial, where do you think I'm going? <laughs> you just hear the door closing behind <laughs> Was it Mike just here? <laughs> anyway, Ferrari, if I could mm-hmm. <laughs> review it, get beyond myself here. Uh, look, the, these crash scenes, these race scenes were terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Penelope Cruz, terrifying. The scariest angry wife I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Ter- the, all of these things in this movie were just, uh, just absolutely terrifying. So as an Italian man, especially one that wants to be an old Italian man, mm-hmm. I was scared for him. I You'll couldn't help. Cars I, I couldn't help. Like a balding Italian man, I couldn't help but be scared for Adam Driver. But no, right. I, I'm kid- kidding around. Penelope Cruz is great in the movie, even though it's like it's like an old school performance. She's the angry wife. Is that some? Is that a, the type of role that gets nominated a lot right now? Well, I was going to say the momentum for her has kind of died. The momentum for this movie in general has not been there, but at least she had some momentum early on in nomination season, precursor season. But we haven't had much to cling to with her lately. This is a Bechtel test fail, uh, like Emily Blunt. I'm, uh, Emily Blunt's gotten a major backlash for the Oppenheimer role just because Christopher Nolan doesn't know how to write women. Well, Michael Mann doesn't know how to write women either. I mean... It's Are you telling me that old white men no they don't know <laughs> aren't the best at at portraying female characters? Yeah, it's kind of a flatter performance and role, even though it's a really animated, well acted one. It's just upsetting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Adam Driver is also miscast. I mean, he's he's got a big presence, and he delivers one of the best, maybe the worst, coaching pep talks ever delivered in a sports movie. I loved oh it. Like, I was feeling okay. goosebumps, and then it kind of backfired. <laughs> just just going to say. Uh, but he's got such a goofy accent, it's just absurd. You know, get in one of my cars, you get in tween. Come on. <laughs> is, Come on. Is, is this where we're going with him? He's just like, he we, doing? Oh, we, have, we have an Italian biopic, somebody get me Adam Driver. 
I don't I didn't even realize he's Italian. I was trying to look it up on his whatever. I don't really care if he is necessarily. It's yeah, I, I, does, but like, is he the guy that's going to be the hey, you can put on a heavy accent for us, right? It's it's not good. It's it's yeah. but the movie's OK. The movie's OK, if not a little bit old school. And the I, the racing scenes alone are worth the price of admission. I got the ravioli afterwards, talked myself up a couple of points. B, solid B. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Easy. Anyway, I, I was really happy to see the two Japanese movies stay in theaters. Like, The Boy and the Heron as the 10th spot to finally get to that here for the Christmas box office. Did another $6 million. It's now up to $125.3 worldwide. $64 million budget. You think that's headed towards profitability. But the $64 yeah. million budget, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if that's true. It's me doing some conversions. I would be surprised, but who knows? But The Boy and the Heron and Godzilla Minus One have done really well over here. That's exciting to see. Godzilla Minus One's about $80 million now on a $15 million budget worldwide, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Taylor Swift and Thanksgiving, those are the other surefire hits, I would say, that are still lingering in theaters right now. Look, money losers, there's clearly a bunch of money losers. The question is how much money can they lose? Like Saltburn and the Holdovers. They did about $20 million a apiece on $20 and $30 million tabs. I don't know what the budgets are, but they're, those are playing well on streaming, I'm guessing, for the next couple of months. And does NBC on Peacock, are they cool with the holdovers doing well for Peacock? Is Amazon just cool with Saltburn on a $20 million budget doing well there? It, this kind of bleeds into the whole Paramount and David yeah, Zasloff we're, we're talking thing. Yeah. Napoleon Killers of the Flower Moon. That's a bigger discussion because what what was paid for? Did they pay the back ends for the Napoleon Ridley Scott people? Walking Phoenix that that did two hundred one million on a reported two hundred million dollar budget, but was that budget paying off the back ends like we saw with Air? Like we don't know these these backroom financing issues. Killers of the Flower Moon reported two hundred million dollar budget. It made one fifty six point two in theaters. It's been hanging on PVOD for a while now. I'm guessing Napoleon is going to take that window as well. It's so odd though. Like Apple didn't they pay that price to put it on Apple TV Plus ASAFP? Unless Paramount gave him a huge ass check to be in the game, and Apple doesn't care as much. It's so odd to me. Now, if they were paying off the back ends and Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be there forever and be and be theirs forever on Apple TV Plus and it's worth yeah. it to them, I don't know. It's just that it, it, Apple is an, it's, it's one of those things that we need. I, I need a lot more information on before I get a, I feel comfortable enough speculating on what the hell is going on with them. Anyway, Poor Things did about eight million thus far on a 35 million dollar budget the favorite was a big player overseas though poor thing strikes me as something that'll play well uh, with all the perverts worldwide <laughs> good <laughs> sorry poor things i did rewatch it with my brother and we you know we we still liked it even though i mean there was a joke that i missed the first time i la- i've been laughing about it ever since yeah you said you were very high on it really it is. really happy with nice that to see it. good the good stuff i'm just dying laughing i need you to see this immediately because <laughs> even if you miss it the first time i'm just gonna make you i'm gonna make you think it's funny for <laughs> okay, the next good. i look forward to it two months uh otherwise yeah i mean wish and the marvels those are clear bombs yeah it's upsetting um trolls band together renaissance a film by beyonce those seemingly are close to profitability uh, pretty soon. 
anyway, it's I, I am I am I mean the the overall feel and again it goes back to and this was in the maybe we should talk about it now I don't know but the whole idea that Zaslaw uh, Warners and Paramount are talking and they're having this flirtation with Takeover and it was from I think the New York Post was reading it had one of the articles up there and it's like if you read that article it makes it seem like the movies are down overall the studios are losing money left and right Paramount's losing money uh, the streaming network we know they're not doing well like HBO Max is barely. Uh, breaking even, uh, and that's not you know you don't get into the streaming game just to break even either. People have none of these studios have figured out a way to make profitability from their streamer. Are they just crying poor there for the government to allow this to happen? Because isn't that the biggest hurdle, like with a Warner Brothers Paramount merger? Sure, that would absolutely be one of the bigger hurdles, no doubt. And it's possible that this is all a ploy, but it's also possible that it's true and there's just something uh, the pandemic screwed us all up well I mean, we've been seeing this as a trend as well we've been seeing these large companies ha- having to consolidate fox sold to disney mm-hmm. amazon bought mgm mm-hmm. we've heard rumors about disney maybe selling off a few different pieces uh, we we've heard Apple Disney rumors forever, even though and that's that's where that that article speculates most is that Zasloff. This isn't a movie play. This is Zasloff has eyes on big tech, and he's he's thinking that this is inevitably going to be like a Warner Brothers Amazon deal, really, and that this is just him like beefing up Warner Brothers, getting the Paramount. If this does go through, he's, he wants you know Sherry Redgrave Redgrave's. Uh, seats essentially and her stock options and all that in the paramount uh in the paramount studio and he would be uh, a huge investor in there and he thinks it would get paramount's library into wb it would make them more attractive and inevitably zaslaw the speculation is that zaslaw would turn to big tech because that's where all the money actually is right now and say all right who wants us we're the biggest name going right now what's the end game of all this michael is for david zaslaw it's to make money for uh investors no yeah, doubt, that, that, a thousand fine. percent. All right, I get it. But what's the end, the overall end game? Because we've had this cable bundle for years. All these sports rights are coming up. There's new deals being cut for a lot of these sports rights. Well, that what you're asking is what I think every major studio and network and everything is asking right now. It's like there's going to be a come to Jesus moment because things are getting way too expensive. Yeah, and the money can't keep up. The money these studios have and these networks have cannot possibly keep up with the money it's going to take. So, like, what is going to happen? No, I don't think there's an answer yet. Everybody tried to go on their own, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, coming out of the pandemic. And fell on their face. And most everybody of them. Everybody did. Well, most everybody of fell them, on their face. Most of them. Netflix is making money. Well, Netflix had a 15-year head start, too. Amazon is probably making money. Overall, probably not because of their streamer, though. But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, with their streamer, they're probably making money because it's just they're paying for it with shipping stuff. I mean, it's just. But whatever. I mean, that whole wing. If Amazon Prime was a standalone streamer, there's no way it'd be profitable. Zero percent. Maybe. No way. I just think they have the eyes. They have enough people buying in to their. Yeah, if it's standalone, fine. But if they're pay- they have enough people paying for the subscription, whether it's attack on twenty yeah. bucks. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But, but yeah, exactly. They're paying for it for Amazon too. Like that's a huge deal. If Amazon Prime was like Apple TV Plus and it was disconnected, 
from Amazon. Maybe that's Apple TV Plus's issue. They should have always connected it to something. They should have connected to our iPhones. It should have been if you have an iPhone, you you iPhone, you should have to have Apple TV Plus and pay for it that way. That's what they should have done. You know, that might be what they're doing too. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't think they're doing that. I don't know what they're doing. They don't release. I don't know any what numbers. Apple's. Yeah, Apple. Apple. You know the episode of The Simpsons. Where, like, the big fight breaks out on the front yard. You're going to do this doesn't... to me now. You're going to do this to me again. <laughs> We're going to end this episode with me going over saying, yay, I'm glad I watched all the Seinfelds. I've watched a lot of Simpsons. Are you really going to make me watch all the Simpsons? Have you watched all the Simpsons? No. What are you I'm doing? Not... You're just guilt tripping me. You know I'm a watchaholic. You know I'm a watchaholic. You know you're enabling me. Yeah, I am. I you're am. doing this but to me. Maybe you know this episode. Like the ep- it's a famous episode where like there's a big ninja fight on the on, on the Simpsons front lawn, and no, Homer I doesn't want to go this inside. Episode, but I want to know this episode now. <laughs> You're gonna make me do this. And Homer goes doesn't want to go inside, and Marge is like, "Come on, we got to get out of here. It's dangerous." And Homer's like, "But we can't go in yet. That guy is just standing there, and you know he's gonna do something cool, and he hasn't moved yet. And there's just a guy <laughs> in the middle of all the fracas in a white suit, just standing there staring. I have and it's." As soon as Homer episode. goes in the door, yeah. you hear, and he does all this cool <laughs> shit. Yes. <laughs> and have, Homer missed it. I have. <laughs> that's what that. Apple TV, that's what Apple is to me. Like, I don't know what they're doing. I don't have a grasp on them, but I know they're going to do something. <laughs> I'm glad we can get all our laughs out of the way before we get into the serious <laughs> yeah, stuff right. here. But yeah, that's, that's great. That is good. Apple's going to do something. I don't yeah. know what yet. But it's, it's bizarre to connect these two conversations to analyze apple economics and killers of the flower moon economics and what does it mean when paramount's in the play i Mm -hmm. I don't get it at all i don't get it at all but all right um the last part of this story is that 824 movies will now head to max go here to forthwith michael yeah, so in 2018, A24 got into bed with Apple. It was announced the studio would produce a whole slate of films for the new, then new streaming service. In 2019, A24 signed a four-year deal with Showtime, which is a Paramount subsidiary, to be the cable home of all A24 movies once they've had their theatrical run. And now it looks like they're just switching bedfellows here completely. A24 has penned a deal with uh, Max to be the new pay-one window of uh, A24 titles starting with this year's slate as Past Lives, Dicks the Musical, Priscilla, The Zone of Interest, The Iron Claw, and others will show up on Max after their first run in theaters finish up. And as well, A24 has a number of older films that were already on Max that will continue to live there. So it looks like if you're looking for any A24 title, your best bet starting in 2024 is going to be... Uh, Zasloff, which is, I mean, this is what this guy's doing. Let's yeah. fatten up our library. Let's license ourselves up so we have revenue coming in. We'll make stuff. We'll license that out. We'll buy other people's stuff. We're just going to fatten ourselves out, and we'll sell ourselves inevitably to Disney or Amazon or someone. I've watched all of the Studio Ghibli films on Max, and I probably and I probably rewatched them all there too. And mm-hmm. A twenty four is also like a unique tile that I would like just click on and sure, watch. Absolutely, something. who wouldn't? especially with their new stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, this this is cool. This is another thing. Like, you get mad at Max, and then you get happy with Max, I guess. It's various things. Because I like, I like Max. As the Zaslav turns. What's that? As the Zaslav turns. <laughs> he drives us nuts. All right, we're going to slowly transition into the negative stuff. The first part of that is actually a an entertainment story, but it's, it's, it's negative. Like Christopher Landon has left as the Screen 7 director. Michael, this is probably one of the least surprising stories ever. 
It was like, slow to come out, too, according to him. I mean, he yeah. said when he put the tweet out there, he said, hey, by the way, I left the project weeks ago. Not right. that it matters, but everything FYI. has been like delayed reaction. Yeah. But I guess that makes sense. So where do they go from here? Do they really go in the direction of Scream 7 is a Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox led vehicle? And that's where we go. And it's just Ghostface and Sydney duking it out again. Does that make any sense? Like, so I don't believe the, that. I really don't. Well, I do. <laughs> I hope anyway. But like, the the rumors were as soon as the Melissa Barrera stuff happened and Jenna Ortega left, that okay, we're calling up Patrick Dempsey, we're calling up Nev Campbell, we're calling up Courtney Cox. We're gonna do what we can to get these three back in the fold, and it's gonna be Sydney Prescott with her husband from Scream Three, the detective Kincaid there played by Patrick Dempsey right. and Courtney Cox and, and Ghostface one more time. So that was the rumor going around. I think we're going to, I don't know if that's going to happen to answer your question, but I do think we're going to get something that's called Scream 7 because I think there's too much money to be left on the table. And whether or not it's worth anyone's time or money, it's going to depend on who's attached to it. Here's my fear, Michael. Here's my fear. They're going to do like Nev Campbell and Daughter and it's going to be like Panic Room but with Ghostface. And she does. They've always talked about kids with Sydney's character. I mean, those they're canon. There are children involved. That will, you know what? That's probably the best idea. Like if you have Sydney Sweeney, daughter. Sydney, Sydney Prescott, not Sydney Sweeney. Sydney, Sydney <laughs> Sweeney is the daughter. No. Although she could be in it. That would no. sell tickets. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's for I mean, sure. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, did, she'd get people there. Even that, that even, is that too heavy? That scares the crap out of me. Like any, I mean, obviously, you know, any. Well, what are you talking about here? Have one of the have one of the Sydney Prescott's children be Ghostface? No, no. Well, I mean, that's always a that'd be dark as hell. No, that 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 that, that's not going to happen. But the way Kristen Stewart was vulnerable in oh my god in Panic Room, Jodie Foster taking care of her, but it was that was great drama. Great drama. What would what do you not like about that? I mean, I like that. No, I like that idea. I like that idea. You you talked me into this, but it has to be that idea. Like I don't really care about I, I mean you, look you could there is in i didn't even think about the kids to be honest with you but that plot writes itself these kids are now in high school the high school friend one of the high school friends gets deranged it's even they want to be ghost Mike, face. they start school. killing well yeah i mean that'd be that's too dark i think have but, these kids be 12 years old on that'd be terrible 97 when, when did sydney get free in 2000 early aughts Two, 2000 but she was had her, her she was Kincaid. pushing a stroller around in the last in Scream Five, right? Wasn't she pushing was a she? stroller around? I thought, or so. was she just jogging? I don't. I thought she was pushing a stroller and jogging. So those that that's obviously no, because young. she says because Dewey asks him how's Mark and she and she and she says he's he's with the kids. He's good. He's with the kids. Or Mark's safe. He's with the kids. No, I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch. Jurassic One was terrifying because we were. Raptors chasing 10-year-olds around. Can you imagine? Well, wait a minute. So uh, maybe we're getting wires crossed because I'm saying one of the kids' peers tries to replicate ghosts. How old are these kids? But that's you, what I'm you saying. You can't, have, you can't have a middle schooler try to be ghost-faced. That would no. not work. No. Okay, good. You agree with that. I agree. But if you have, so it'd have to be someone in Sydney's life going after her kids. You're saying that would be drama- dramatic. It's going after the family. 
Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. That, that would be terrifying. I agree. I agree. I'm saying if the kids are teenagers, have one of their peers go after the kids and like try to replicate Ghostface again. It's just a, it's an East Coast or whenever, wherever they are, South Ghostface. Very scary. And Sydney's well. got to step into, she's the one that's done this before. And the kid does it because it is Sydney Prescott. That's added gravitas. Yeah. But I don't really want Patrick Dempsey to be a suspect there. No, I don't think he would be. I don't think that's... Right now, he's probably still a suspect. It was him all along, right? Oh, my God. Terrifying. <laughs> this ends with Stu. There's no way this doesn't end. What are you talking about? This There's the Hail Mary the... right there. <sighs> I don't know. I, I was starting to say it earlier. I don't want following the Kevin Bacon series. I don't want that. It's, it's... I don't want that. No, I don't want that either. But, I, I mean, hey, one of Sydney's... Uh, if it's going to be one of Sydney's children's peers in school who has a father who hasn't been in the picture for a few years, and who's the father? <gasps> it's Stu. He's still alive. <laughs> I don't want the retconning deaths. Let, just let, peop- let people in movies, let be characters dead. in movies be dead. Put that on a T-shirt. Enough with the... You call J.J. Abrams. <laughs> and you tell him that you want people in movies to stay dead. I do. And just see what he says. Why is J.J. Abrams? <laughs> because he brought back everybody and retconned everything for that so bullshit Star Wars. You, how's that working for him? What? How's it, how's bringing everybody back from the dead working out for the MCU? I listen. I'm I'm with you. We're about to transition. I can't have one. I can't have one. <laughs> I can't have one guy brought back. You got this stupid series with Marvel where nobody dies and nothing matters. Multiverse. <laughs> multiversing has just. Yeah, taking away the stakes. We've talked about it a hundred times. All right, we got to do it. We've kind of cushioned this episode yeah. to, to get here, but that's been me avoiding it. Yeah, this is a serious story, so we'll put our serious hats on. And, and you've done a nice job, like I said, discussing stories that have been, you know, in between the the legal world and the entertainment world, where those stories have uh, intersected. We've talked about the Me Too movement. We've talked about the Paramount Accords, whether it's you know, uh, whether it's been a domestic uh, or a corporate issue. We've talked about these two spheres intersecting. Uh, so now you're putting your Mike One Esquire hat on again. And you're going to take us through the Jonathan Majors timeline. And this is, like you said, like you tweeted a while ago, this is just sad on so many levels, but it isn't. I mean, this is a guy that was a newly minted movie star. He was a tentpole. He was a tentpole. He was, he was from Creed three into this Kang role, which he knocked out of the park when he, when it started on Loki, I think the Ant-Man quantum mania piece of it, not so much, even though that movie did it well enough. But he was a newly minted star. the 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 army sit, spokesperson for right. I yep. Mean, he yeah, was he, he was, was in going a big, uh, big promotional campaign for the U.S. Army and all kinds of commercials, and that's all gone. And all right, let's get into this. I'm doing this once. I'm going to be as uh, thorough and give as much context as I could have uh, researched and come up with. So in the hopes of not having to go into detail about it ever again. So this is everything you need to know about the Jonathan Majors situation uh, and the fallout therefrom. So give you a bit of a timeline. This is thanks to NBC News. This is thanks to Variety. There are a couple other outlets I used. Uh, I have statues in here from New York's penal code system. I'm hopefully going to make it as coherent as uh, as humanly possible. Uh, Mike, if you have any questions you need to interject at any point, just jump in. Cool. All right. 
Jonathan Majors was arrested March 25th, 2023. He was accused of choking, assaulting, and harassing uh, Grace Jabari, his then-girlfriend who he uh, broke up with at that moment. Uh, The allegations here forth. There was a text from another woman on Major's phone that caused Jabari to grab Major's phone out of his hands while they were both in a town car. The text uh, purportedly read from another woman, I wish I was kissing you right now to Major's. Uh, Major's was alleged to have pulled Jabari's finger, twisting her arm behind her back and striking her in the face. The driver eventually stopped, let the couple out. They start to leave the car, but Majors allegedly throws Jabari back into the car. They eventually do go their separate ways. Majors stays the night in a hotel, but did return to uh, his apartment that he shared with Jabari hours later. Okay, Mike, Uh, so quickly, was any of that on video? Because we had heard about video in these trials. and I'm going to get to the video. Uh, Is the the attack on video? Not that I've seen thus far. But none of that was recorded. Okay. All, All allegations. Um. When Majors eventually does return to the apartment, which is uh, at some point in the a.m. hours of the next morning, he finds Jabari unconscious. She's sleeping, she says. He says he feared she attempted suicide. Mm. He calls 911. He's asked by dispatch what happens, and he responds, I don't know. Um, She was found uh, unconscious with only a sweater on, nothing on her bottom, on the floor of their closet. Uh, There's more about what happened that night, but I'll get into it. These facts are rolling in. It's a timeline. March 26th, the Manhattan DA files three counts of third-degree assault, one count second-degree harassment, one count of aggravated harassment, all of which are misdemeanors against Jonathan Majors, and the complaint alleges Majors struck Jabari in the face with an open hand, leaving lacerations behind her ear, grabbed her hand, resulting in swelling and bruising, and put his hands on her neck. March 30th, Priya Chaudhry, Jonathan Majors' attorney, shares screenshots with NBC News where Jabari admits to using force against Majors on that night. June 21st, Majors files a domestic incident report with sworn affidavit against Jabari, claiming that she launched, quote, frenzied attacks against the actor on that night. October 25th, Jabari is arrested on charges of assault and criminal mischief. And then a day later on the 26th, the Manhattan DA says charges against Jabari lack prosecutorial merit and they are dismissed. Hmm. So we're back on with only Majors having the allegations against him. That uh, begins the trial on November 29th, the trial against Jonathan Majors by the state of New York. December 5th, Jabari testifies in that trial that she both feared Majors and also feared for his own safety, worrying that he might harm himself. Yeah. December 13th, the judge in the trial allows key evidence to be released to the public. This includes Majors' 911 call from that March 25th and body camera, camera footage of the responding officer's coming to Major's apartment to find Jabari unconscious on the floor. Evidence shows that Major's found Jabari unconscious, laying in a closet, and she was disoriented and unsure of where she was when she came to. Officers asked her what happened the night prior, and she still responded in that state that Major's had struck her in the head several times and grabbed her throat. It's also worth noting on the 911 call that Major's makes that Major's refers to Jabari as his ex and claims they had broken up, even though they had just broken up during the incident the night prior. Ugh. More evidence that was released. Text from Majors claiming that, quote, to Jabari, quote, maybe I'm such a monster and horrible man that I'm not worthy of love and should just kill myself, as well as dissuading other texts dissuading Jabari from getting treatment for her injuries for fear that, quote, it could lead to an investigation. Jabari responds to the the dissuasion attempts from Majors by both offering to cover for him when visiting the doctor for her injuries, but still needing to go to the doctor for need of pain medicine, and even telling Majors, quote, why would I want to tell them what really happened when it's clear I want to be with you? 
That's the evidence that was released to the public on the 13th of December. On the 14th of December, the case goes to jury. On the 18th of December, the jury returns with a verdict. Majors is guilty on two counts of the four that he was charged with officially, assault third and harassment second. That's layman's terms, paraphrasing the New York Penal Code Section 120.00, which covers assault three, and New York Penal Code Section 240.26, which covers harassment two. Essentially, all that means is that Majors was found guilty of recklessly causing an injury via physical contact while attempting to harass, annoy, or alarm another person. Mm-hmm. Majors was found not guilty of a separate assault, assault, excuse me, not guilty of a separate assault with intent charge and a charge of aggravated harassment, which I'm guessing would have been aggravated harassment, second degree, whatever, doesn't matter. He was found not guilty of those two charges. So the bottom line is he was found guilty of a violation and a class A misdemeanor. As a result of the allegations, police report, trial, verdict, and fallout, here are the things Majors has been fired from. Uh, he was pulled from various films immediately upon the allegations. He was dropped by the Army, like we said, for a, for a nationwide promotional campaign, which was already live and running on television and cable. He was fired by Marvel after the guilty verdict was returned in mid-December a couple weeks ago. Magazine Dreams is rumored to be shelved indefinitely, and what was supposed to be Major's big Oscar player this year uh, to be released in December is probably not going to be seen Again, most people in the industry speculate. And again, upon the allegations coming back in March, his manager and his PR firm each dropped him. Now, Mm -hmm. there has been, and this is where the controversy comes in, there has been and will continue to be all sorts of hullabaloo over this entire incident in court case, especially with regards to evidence that has made its way to the public. There are videos of Jabari moments after the incident where she looks unharmed and is using her supposedly fractured finger to fix her hair and put a heavy jacket on and off her person. Uh, There was originally a filing claiming that when Jabari was found unconscious in the closet by majors, there were traces of vomit and an open bottle of sleeping pills nearby, which were details omitted in subsequent filings. There were claims of racial indignities by majors attorneys with regards to the lack of gravitas with which majors claims against Jabari were seemingly being treated with by the court. There are voice recordings of majors telling Jabari he is a great man doing great things and he needs a partner on the level of a Coretta Scott King or a Michelle Obama, so on and so forth. There's even been speculation that Jabari's finger wasn't injured in the incident at all, and rather, her injury on that finger was the result of her falling after returning back to the apartment after a night of drinking and dancing with new friends to blow off steam the night of the 25th, as there is video of her meeting strangers outside of the apartment and later video of her with those same people at the bar drinking and dancing that same night. I bring all of this up to say this. Mm-hmm. regardless of the severity of injury. It is rare that celebrities, especially mainstream, especially A-list ones, ever actually get to the trial stage for any sort of criminal indecency and rarer still that they are found guilty. The fact that an entire defense was laid out in front of a New York jury and they still found Majors guilty means what it means. An entire group of objective peers found the evidence to be believable that Jonathan Majors both harassed and assaulted Grace Jabari beyond any reasonable doubt, as is the standard the evidence must meet for conviction in any criminal trial. It's important to remember, too, a trial isn't done so that we, the public, can be satisfied that we have all the pieces to the entire story in order to satiate our thirst for celebrity drama. 
A trial is done to bring forth justice as decided by a community, and justice in this case dictated that Jonathan Majors assaulted and harassed his ex-girlfriend that night. So, as to whether the injuries were embellished or victims weren't being entirely truthful, the fact is there are victims here, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Now, with this conviction, we're left with the all-too-familiar and Honestly, to me, much more mundane residue of the politicized conversation, well, is Majors being canceled? I don't think such a thing exists. I've been on record about that many times, but now that's me editorializing. That's not me being an objective law person. So I'll leave it at, well, is he going to be canceled? Only time will tell, but there is certainly uh, a measure of accountability that is being taken on his behalf by firms, PR firms, managers, studios, etc., all right, so I'll add something about Magazine Dreams. I saw that at last year's Sundance. I do yes. think he would have been in a lot of people's tens for lead actor this year. He was stupendously good in that, and it's and it's a shame that uh, this whole scenario exists, number yeah, one. Yeah, like I, I mean, a billion reasons, and that's certainly one of them, yeah. Uh, that being said, like you, you also recognize, and I think I also recognize, that we don't know the truths of this and we were talking about a, a court case a fictional court case in our last episode for anatomy of a fall and, and you were talking about how in many a cases the truth is elusive we we can't tell there are theories on cases and we don't know and certainly the the history of race in this country and the history of uh, oh my god the policing in this country how to how can we truly 100 percent know that uh this is not discrimination this is not there's not issues with that in here and that's why i think you know an entire community community is suspicious they're suspicious uh, of another another superstar newly minted superstar coming out of their community is being you know charged and and you know convicted here so can we be entirely sure no but where i want to finish is this doesn't look good this looks this looks bad for Jonathan Majors. Yeah, I would say nobody's ever going to know exactly what happened on any given. Incident. And we don't know. And that's right. the thing. I, it's, right. That's what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. So, like, we I, don't I mean, know. that's 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 a given. And, and we don't certainly, you know, none of us know. And this idea that like we're, we are in this society that is so desperate to like want the celebrity drama that like celebrity is akin to religion in this day and age is it's got its own sickness and it comes with its own perversions and that's kind of part of it and so people think they're experts into these fields just because the celebrities involved and they don't know what happened so yeah you're absolutely right in that aspect the only thing i would i would stand by is that you don't get to a jury trial especially in the state of new york you don't get to a jury trial unless there is some significant evidence for a figure of speech you have to be holding the smoking gun right and Look, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. It took a jury. I don't know if it was a six-person jury, 12-person jury, whatever it was. I don't know how the New York uh, criminal court, what they do for different charges. I know Connecticut handles it a little differently when it comes to certain charges of criminal court. But nonetheless, there was a group of people who all decided in unison, without objection, that the evidence was beyond a reasonable doubt that he did these things. And that's a Mm -hmm. huge standard. Mm -hmm. That's not a preponderance of an evidence. That's not a 51-49, he probably did it type thing. That's a 100%, and it's got to be 100% according to every single person in that jury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it looks bad, and it's more than looking bad. Obviously, it uh, it seems like seems like he did some terrible things. And I mean, look, there's people out there who are like, "Well, it's not like he he just beat the hell out of," and like, okay, 
he's found guilty of these things. He harassed and assaulted her. Like, that's bad. <laughs> you know, like you should have, there should be accountability for those things. If you're found criminally liable. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's how this thing works. Yeah. I mean, we've said it a hundred times. It's not difficult to not put your hands on someone to, to avoid. I mean, if you're somebody. a man, it's not difficult to not hit a woman. I'm sorry. That's, that's how I feel. I will always feel that way. Right. I think that's a pretty universal feeling. There's, there's always, that's never option A. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I, 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 I did too much research. I went too far into the weeds. I hope that was understandable, but I, I wanted to provide as much context as possible because I don't like talking about these things. No. I mean, it is sad on a lot of levels, but I do think we avoided this for how many weeks? This news came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We were like, oh, this, this hurt, this, this is painful to discuss. And I, and we still don't know definitively what happened. Like we're saying, that's what I'm trying to ultimately get. Well, we know he's here. convicted of, of these crimes. We know he's convicted of the yeah. crimes. So, I mean, that's that's what we can say definitively. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, this sucks. This sucks for uh, it sucks for the victims. It sucks for Jonathan Majors. It sucks for his movie career. Uh, but I mean, there's victims. It sucks here. It for sucks the black for community. It sucks, it sucks for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's this sucks. This stuff. This stuff. Talking about this stuff and this stuff happening sucks on a lot of levels. Yeah. So there you go. All right. I'm glad we didn't have to end there, though. We're going to yeah. kind of transition. I don't know how, but we will transition into a what we're watching, make the case. You're going to review another big movie that's been on Netflix. I'm going to review a couple more that I've been watching that have hit the short list recently. The first of those I watched last night, Michael, Four Daughters, and I figured the you know the content of this movie was serious. So, I mean, I could transition somewhat. Uh, but this is as unique a documentary project as I've ever seen. The three documentary subjects of four daughters is the mother and two of her four daughters. And they have committed, along with the filmmaker who is a presence in this movie, they have committed to reenact scenes from their past involving actors playing the other two daughters who have been disappeared, the other two daughters slash sisters, and the, the men that have come through their lives, all played by one actor. And I feel bad for him because the actor is obviously not a terrible person like a lot of the men that have come through their daughters. But these are the actual women playing their own roles? Yes, reenacting. And essentially it is this, it is one of the most interesting ways to interview subjects of a documentary I've ever seen. Because none of the scenes are really featured. Some of them we're glimpsed at. Like, if this is, like, this fake movie that they're all prepping, that's fine. This is the behind-the-scenes of the filming of that fake movie, of those fake scenes, of those reenactments. It's mostly the actors interviewing the subjects on what really happened. And it turns into this huge, messy tell-all featuring the mother and two of the daughters. My God, I can't believe where it goes. So there's tons of twists and turns. There's, there's total acts just involved with the real lives of these these good people. And, and what a mess. And it shows like family life being a mess for everyone in, in an instance. But obviously there are huge there are huge problems with this particular uh, with this particular family, unique problems and revolving around these men, of course, and it's just some horrible stuff. If you stuff. weren't in this position in MMO, would mm. you call this a documentary? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still would. And I, I, I'm i glad and I applaud the documentary feature branch because this is an innovative way to make a documentary. 
because yeah, this is an innovative way to, to interview these subjects, which is ultimately what happens. So you add that whole other meta narrative that they're prepping for this, this fake movie. It's just why, but it's real. It's, 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 they're really interviewing them and they, they got stuff out of these subjects that you've never gotten any other way. Like if you just, if it was just a talking heads documentary about these four daughters, about this family, you would have never gotten there. All these theater exercises, all of these, all of these preparations to do all of these scenes and to reenact all of these real life issues. That's how they got to the bottom of this. It's funny. It reminds me of uh, the Thin Blue Line, that famous documentary from like 1986 uh, that was used to exonerate uh, somebody in a murder trial. And a lot of the reason that it was that people cited that it was so helpful is because they did reenact a lot of the situations that were instead of having people just talk about what happened. There were people there actually literally reenacting what this guy was accused of and how the crime couldn't have possibly been pulled off. And I think they showed it to even to a jury and the jury cited that like, oh, that uh, having that as a visual definitely helped, which pissed off the defense because they were right. or the, the prosecution because they're like, well, what the hell? Like, <laughs> there's who's to say this was all at all scientific. Right. But yeah. Yeah. It's uh, this is this is a I mean, the the revelations are involved in the prep and in all of, you know, the, the, the interviewing of the real people. But it doesn't happen through the scenes being performed necessarily, even though some of that is therapeutic, certainly. And they show some of those scenes throughout. But those scenes aren't as featured as the behind the scenes right. preparations, which is just, yeah, it has a few mo- times where it's such a frenzy of of horrible stuff that it's, it is a hard watch. But mostly this is a... I can't look away. I, I, this is a B plus all day. Eighty eight four daughters. Wow. I recommend it. It's only five bucks on VOD right now. Obviously, trigger warnings abound, but if you're if you're in for it, it's 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 intense. It's worth watching. Cool. All right. So that's up there for your doc uh, doc feature list. Yeah, it's going to be in my top twenty on the year. It's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy. I said I was going to watch it. I did. You have something on here that's that's akin to like Walking on Holy Land for me. This is this is like Room Two Thirty Seven. It it, re- it it reminded me in the tone of it of Room Two Thirty Seven, and you have not necessarily the segments of the different theories, but you do have several talking heads that are given such leeway to cook. They're interviewed, they're authorities on their different subject matters, like who's a film historian, who who's a film critic, film historian, who's a historian on LBGTQ plus rights in this movie. Yeah, and you have large segments of the movie that are dedicated to each one of those areas. And it's very important that 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 happens. And then who's an expert on the movie itself, Midnight Cowboy? So it's really cool to watch this movie because it is so disciplined in that regard. And they give these people the freedom to really get into the subject, Hmm. almost like deliver lectures with all the gorgeous footage that they've had and all the intense footage of they had of New York City at that time, of the film industry at that time, of of the eras of film like that this movie comes in between. Because this is like 60s going into 70s and Vietnam is a major presence in this movie. Sure. And obviously the civil rights movements are, are are major talking points. So yeah, Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy. I could see why as an archival footage doc this broke through. Because we don't always see the archival footage docs break through 
in this documentary feature branch, but this one makes sense. So this is another another B all day. I don't know if it got quite into the B plus territory, but this was a fascinating watch with thematic discussions with real gravitas. They abound in this movie, and it's just uh, if you're a film nut like me, and I I, I want to rewatch Midnight Cowboy now. I haven't seen it in maybe. 10 years i don't know if i've ever seen midnight cowboy but yeah i definitely want to check it out i want to check out this documentary you can't say room 237 lightly i would watch midnight cowboy before you watch this movie because you're going to get spoiled about midnight cowboy yeah, so. but then then again i don't tell you how to live your life you know so showtime has midnight <laughs> cowboy right now if you have showtime or paramount come Plus. on you know sold me that was good <laughs> Michael, I just, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you with the. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you like spoilers. You just like it. I do. Well, well, it's not that I like. I am the. I am the total opposite of you in that way. Like spoilers will a lot of times make me want to watch the thing, mm-hmm. whereas you try to avoid them as if they are grim death. I do want to avoid them because I don't yeah. know what the movie watching goods are gonna be. If it's right. a revelation plot. I want those revelations to hit me. Right. Right. Which makes sense. I would say probably 90% of people are like you. I don't know if Midnight Cowboy is necessarily a revelation plot, but I mean, look at, no, I think a lot of people watch movies knowing the story, just like, you know, we watch Titanic knowing the ending. Mm. We know what's coming and whatever. Russ is a bad person. (laughs) We fit over this. She could have, she could not have made room. room. There's plenty of room. Plenty of room for that, and uh, no, she's a bad the person. First episode of our, second episode of our podcast. We could did... you imagine meeting the love of your life? <laughs> but if she got off the plank, uh-huh. yeah, they both would have froze dead immediately. Didn't we see this? Didn't we? Like you and I in a pool could not fight for the the shallow end. Never mind the. If you and I were p- one plank, and I was on a pullout couch. I wouldn't let you on for comedy's sake, and I'd like to think you'd get the joke. <laughs> but there'd be room for you. As I froze to death, I would laugh it. I would laugh at the joke, my dying joke. What, what was that Joker's uh, movie? The 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 death joke. What what they call that? The killing the joke. Killing joke. The, the killing, killing joke. joke. I would yeah. laugh at the killing joke. Yeah, that's actually also a Simpsons reference, by the way. Oh, uh, Mister Burns tries to escape in an escape pod that he has hidden. And Smithers comes in. He goes, please, sir, for the love of God, there's two seats. Mr. Burns opens up the door and he says, I like to put my feet up. <laughs> the, the Burns, the Burns, uh, he's my favorite. And what's the other guy's name? The Smithers. Smithers. Waylon the Smithers, Burns, yeah. Smithers stuff is my favorite stuff. Ah, the Simpsons. You're, 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 you're making me rewatch The Simpsons. I was looking for a show <laughs> to rewatch again. Slowly. What I, yeah. Thir- taking all 35 seasons, if you could. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Um, leave the world behind you hate it I liked I did not love this movie no I didn't hate it well I hated the Julia Roberts character to start the movie and she's played some hateable characters in the but past. isn't it refreshing at this point in her career to see her play someone's like so stern and right. non-plus like not non-plus I guess but like serious uber serious she's the villain in this movie because you think she's racist for right she, oh, she's you, a think Karen. She, yeah, you think she's awful yeah yeah you think she's playing a Karen? Absolutely. I did not like her pretty much the entire time. And the problem is, you didn't like movie, her when she was dancing with Mahershala Ali. That's that's fine. She's tur- she's starting to win us back over at that moment in the middle of the movie. Fine. So there's hope for her character. It's just like you're trying to root for somebody to survive. 
one of these situations, two and a half hours, I don't have any rooting interest. I'm just like, good. You know, I'm mad at Mahershala for being so wait, coy. Wait, wait, wait. You I'm mad thought this was a survival movie? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Because, like, I, you I don't am, know what's... I, I didn't know what... Like, I, I, I had no idea what I, I am an watching. 80s baby. I want... What was that movie, Wolverines? I want Red Dawn or Red something. Dawn. I don't I don't want Leave the World Behind. I don't... Like, this movie is just wallowing in despair of the world ending. I don't <laughs> think that's a spoiler. I think we know what's but going it's, on. It's, it's saying awful. how addicted to technology we are. Great. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> know this. <laughs> you I don't want need to be two told, and a half You want hours. to be told something you don't know? <laughs> I don't need two and a half hours to... to you know, to tell me that Leo is unrecognizable. I don't need two. I don't need three and a half hours to tell me that that Leo's getting unrecognizable because he's a jerk in that movie. And then I don't need two and a half hours to tell me that we're addicted to our technology and it's probably not good for us. Have you ever seen a movie called Await Further Instructions? I don't think so. What is that? Uh, I think it's a British film from like 2014, 13. It was on Netflix for a long time. That's where I caught it. But it, this is. This is the much more uber serious version of what is still a very serious movie, but, but more sci-fi. This, this is a hit on Netflix. Like Sam Esmail, who I love, by the way, from the first couple seasons of uh, Mr. Robot, and from all of his podcasting. By the way, he's an awesome podcaster on The Ringer. He he has a hit here. I mean, Netflix has got to be thrilled. This movie was like a top their top ten for a couple weeks in a row. And it's a most- story we didn't even cover. Netflix is going to be more transparent. They're going to release. Like viewing data, they oh, have right. Yeah, loved. Data. I love to see that. We should yeah. have covered that. That was in another ORC. We probably cut it. And just like these reviews, we watched "Leave the World Behind" two weeks ago. We yeah, forgot right. to review them. Right. And too uh, much news. The industry is really selfish. They don't consult us. Right. That was a huge Netflix story. We should have covered it, and we still might, but uh, more in more detail. But yeah, I mean, "Leave the World Behind." Where does it rank on the year for you? Is this like really high? I gave it a B plus, eighty eight. The filmmaking is good. The filmmaking is undeniably good. It keeps me into it. It's just like the results of the movie. I was just disagree. I like with. leaving I films that say we're all doomed. I like that because we are. <laughs> Probably are. I'm tired of us lying to ourselves about it. Anyway, you would love Eileen. <laughs> yeah, Eileen is. <laughs> Seriously depressing, and you kind of know that going in and as you watch it, and it's swervy, but the swerves have goods to deliver, like great performances by Anne Hathaway and Marin Ireland. I like Thomas and Mackenzie here as well. Uh, it's just soul-crushing sadness throughout. It's a parade of it. Uh, William Oldroyd, like, I don't want to meet him and talk to him at a bar, ever. <laughs> okay. He just seems like a bummer. Uh, no, I like this movie. Could it been longer? It's like one of the rare movies that you like want another twenty minutes to like get you ready for some of these collisions of storylines. Maybe we get to know a couple characters a little better. Would have been nice. But yeah, I mean, this is. I don't even know what to grade this. It's just like sad. I grade it sad. Sad face. <laughs> this grade is sad. Just an upside down sad face. I don't know what. It's like emoji. That's it. Well, Eileen. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a great Rebel Moon, though. I'll be quicker here. I think this is just like Rebel Moon. I tweeted it is not terrible. It really isn't terrible. It's just all of these scenes are cliched. Like I've seen these scenes 
done a hundred times in bad sci-fi movies. It's just like the bad action movies. It's just like, oh, she's, you know, the, the action hero is going to save the day here or whatever. It's just like, we've seen these so many times. Like, Zack Snyder doesn't have anything new. And then this is just an amal- amalgamation of all of these properties that we're very familiar with. Star Wars, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Wasn't this a rejected Star Wars script? Is it? It makes I sense. Think, that I think it was. I heard that. I, I think he like pitched this to Disney, and they were like, "No, nah, we're good." It feels like it because there's an empire. It's just so dumb. It's just so <laughs> dumb. It, here's what's dumb. It's not dumb that this is could have been a Star Wars movie. It's dumb that there are so many great sci-fi properties out there that Netflix just bought. For that matter, Old Man's War is going to come to Netflix, which is thrilling to me. That was a great book. Uh, who okay. knows what they'll do with it? Great book. Red Rising. I'm, I just bought the next book in the series. Can't wait to listen to it. Uh, six book series. Every book, you can't put it down. I listen to him so fast because I love him so much. Pierce Brown, you're my hero. You're awesome. Can't wait to, to keep reading that. Just make something like that into a movie. But now you're getting down the, down the path of you don't want original stories. You just want adaptations. Hollywood is built... It's business on adaptations. I don't disagree. What? What are we? Why? But there, I mean, but there is a lot of. I mean, the the common cry is Hollywood never makes anything original anymore. Hollywood tells good stories, and you can retell great stories. And they've made a made centuries old business on retelling great stories that have been affirmed great from The Godfather all the way back through The Wizard of Oz all the way now through Gone Girl. They've been affirmed by the New York Times bestseller list. Right. What what else is new? Killers <laughs> of the Flower Moon. It's Yeah, I just read that book. That was on the New York <laughs> Times bestseller third, list. The third time this episode you're bringing up that. <laughs> the Gilded Age, I don't think is a book, but that's Julian Fellows. He is a novelist as well. Anyway, The Gilded Age was good. The Crown, less good kind of manipulative i didn't like the uh i didn't like the artistic license in the crown big mouth still funny seinfeld good finish seinfeld michael i'm happy to hear that i loved the finale am i am i rare because obviously i'm not so it's something that's definitely this is what i'm an obsession of mine is like the seinfeld Mm -hmm. finale i think has aged like wine I loved it. It's a Rocky like it's, Five finale. If it were, yeah, if it were to come out now, I think it would be considered genius. I just think it was so far ahead of its time. And people have their... like The same thing with The Sopranos. I think if The Sopranos finale comes out now, I think it's genius. To, for these horrible, horrible, horrible people <laughs> to get their day in court and be proven to be horrible people is absolutely what they deserved. And it's hysterical. It's hysterical to me after watching this you know, over the last eight months, George Costanza, I would text you like every week that he's the worst <laughs> and he deserves everything that's coming to him to actually get some of his comeuppance in the final episodes was hysterical. It was really funny. And it was even better that they didn't have a defense. They just were just like, <laughs> ah, yeah. Whoops. Damn. <laughs> that was the funniest part to me. <laughs> Jerry's face. Just admitting his guilt is hysterical. <laughs> and then they end it by having the conversation in the jail that was the same as the conversation in the, the, season, the uh, series opener. Right. Great. Full circle. 
But I agree. I, I think it's ahead of its time. I think people just have a bad taste in their mouth because it wasn't what they were expecting. Can I give you some of my favorite episodes, though? And you could just, <laughs> yes. like, give thumbs up or thumbs down or yes. what you remember or whatnot. Like, The Parking Garage, a that's classic. where the movie, that's where the, the whole series show came is classic. Out. Yes, great, great, great episode. The, the Pez Dispenser made me last, laugh the hardest. When she laughed the oh, hardest, okay, it's a good. Episode. I laughed so hard when she laughed at the Pez dispenser that he put on her leg <laughs> to make her laugh and ruin the opera. Oh my yes. god, yes. hysterical! Uh, the contest is a classic, classic, of course. They have a contest, it's dirty. The puffy shirt, class, all timers. These are these are banger after banger after banger. <laughs> the marine biologist, yes. George. George has never been funnier. Pulled the obstruction. Excuse me. The fire is where George is the funniest. The fire. Oh, my God. Uh, the Hamptons. Really great. Yep. The opposite. <laughs> the end of season five. Those last three episodes back to back to back. The, the Hamptons. When, when, when Susan's parents are just like, we don't like you very much, George. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's later on when he pretends that, yeah, oh, yeah, he, I have a house yeah, in the Hamptons. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you make me drive you around all day? We never cared for you. <laughs> the father's just like, we still blame you for Susan's death. <laughs> Loved it. Obviously, the soup Nazi, really funny. Yeah, the showerhead episode when they all have the, the terrible germs. germs. So funny. The calzone, which Steinbrenner. The hell do I know about cooking a shirt? <laughs> the bizarro Jerry. From all of these. Listen, the bizarro Jerry where they go to the bad diner. Yep. With the, Elaine is becoming friends with another group of I think Jerry George Kramer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the chicken rooster where Kramer is just covered in greasy fried chicken. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying. Hold this. Yep. The abstinence where where George gets smart because he's not having sex. Mm-hmm. The brain is not dead. Yep. And Elaine gets dumber, yes. Elaine hating the English patient. Is my life. I hate the English patient. Oh, Everything they do when, when Peterman's like Elaine, you're fired, and she goes, "Great, I'll meet you outside." <laughs> Loved it. Loved that episode. The summer of George. All really funny. The Merv Griffin show had one of the more underrated episodes. Dying when Kramer gets the Merv Griffin <laughs> yes. set out of the dumpster. Yep. Oh my god! And reconstruction in his <laughs> apartment. <laughs> He's sitting there with Newman with nobody else. He's like, oh, we got to rebrand. Jerry's uncle and the bookstore. Mm-hmm. That guy, Swarm, Swarm. Uh, that's That was his comeuppance. The uncle mm-hmm. was the worst character. Uh, the Frogger. Oh, my God. The Frogger with George and the, the for this arcade. I've been for my entire life. He's like, yes. I don't have a legacy, but I have this Frogger score. <laughs> And then he has uh, to play. Fro- I always have this uh, police officer that I coach with. He always talks about like you know because he he's a traffic cop half the mm-hmm. half his life I'm sure, and he's always talking about you know crossing the street. He's like, be careful when you cross streets. He's a good guy. He's like, and, and I'm, he's like, what do you? Don't cross over there. What are you going to be, Frogger? <laughs> <laughs> he's always saying that to me. <laughs> you, now see, you have to watch them all again. And again and again and again, so I can just start rattling well, off. So to to be able to be quotable on Seinfeld, yeah. I would probably go with this list. I would rewatch. I'm glad I Festivus didn't make your list. Festivus is good, but Festivus is just it, it, it's to eleven. Like the there's some I got a episodes. lot of problems with you people. <laughs> there are some episodes where they're just so yelling all the time. Yeah, all the Jerry Stiller ones. <laughs> right. 
I'm not as big of a fan on those. (laughs) (laughs) Any others that you can remember that like I don't have on this list? Oh God, what a loaded question. You okay? So that's a whole episode of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I I mean, this is what I was every night, every for seven days a week. Seinfeld would have been on in the house as I was being raised. But you have not watched Curb Your Enthusiasm yet from start to finish? Not from start to... I'm like half... I stopped like halfway through last season. Okay, so you're almost... I'm almost... Yeah, I've watched most of it. It's great. It's it's very good. Yeah. There's... Like, I watched that first. I've watched every Curb Your Enthusiasm and I, for whatever... Every Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. I mean, whatever. I've been you, you're probably right knowing that i was ready for this and now we move on to the simpsons now i have to watch the simpsons is that what it, <laughs> that's what's happened da, 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 da. the simpsons you can get away with only watching the first nine seasons though <laughs> great nine or ten then you can stop you don't have to watch the last 25 <laughs> cool what else do i got to do <laughs> So that's your homework. I expect it done by the next time we talk. Anyway, guys, as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. Uh, what do you think about Joe Coy hosting the Golden Gloves? What do you think about Chelsea Handler hosting the Critics' Choice Award? Any of your thoughts uh, on the uh, box office from this week? Anything having to do with anything about Max and Paramount maybe joining forces? Anything else we covered in this episode? Obviously, Jonathan Majors, this, that story was a huge part of it. You can leave us those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social media. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter or X, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you listen to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, happy new year. Tell the good people what's coming next. Let's have some words of wisdom to get out of 2023 on. Well, it is wise to drink until you don't feel feeling. No, it's not wise to do any of that. It's wise to drink responsibly, of course. Yes. Uh, please, please do so. Please, uh, please be safe uh, during your New Year's celebration. Hopefully, you can hunker down and and be cool with it and 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 do that. Uh, it is wise to uh, keep watching these movies. They're all out there for us right now. I think we're gonna study a couple more films next week. We got a couple that we might. Uh, sink our teeth into like maestro like uh society of the snow on netflix like poor things in theaters we don't exactly know what we're gonna do next yet we're still kind of tossing things around uh we may do another oscar's checkpoint next week on the bafta long list etc obviously the week after we have globe reactions we have critics choice reactions coming later so we'll have a couple oscar's checkpoints to come then so we may do the film studies now but we got American fiction. When is, when is that hitting theaters near us? Um, that's uh, something I've really wanted to see ASAP as well. But yeah, right now it is wise not to get too upset about the New York Knicks and um, the crazy <laughs> trades they make. And oh, it just hurts. It hurts my heart that we traded Emmanuel quickly. Uh, RJ Barrett, not so much. I kind of saw that coming, even though I liked RJ. for. But he's going back to Toronto. He's going home quickly though that it's he's the next kyle lowry fred van fleet over there it's a great pickup for them it's over i'm i get even angrier when i think about this from the raptors perspective they could not have gotten a better deal they've gotten two guys they they wanted two young pieces that they have now on fixed contracts because quickly is just gonna 
re-sign there. They'd have any issues signing him for $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. They're going to give him the keys. But it's worse than that. Their, their team, their nucleus now is quickly <sighs> RJ and Scotty, Scotty Barnes. They're they're gonna they're gonna and they're gonna beat us in the play in. That's what's gonna happen now. Don't worry, the Celtics will take care of them for you. Mm. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can hopefully have a safe New Year's with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year round without the stuff in us. We will see you all very soon. Ah, oh, go Knicks, <laughs> go Knicks. Please, please work, trade work. See ya.